We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blink and they're gone to find out who they are without us. All the more reason we come to West Virginia to introduce them to simple things like rolling hills, walks in the forest, warm campfires. And we hold on to that feeling for as long as we can. Find your version of heaven this fall at wvtourism.com. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast, powered by Campus Insiders, with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Welcome to Episode 9 of the Gator Nation Football Podcast. I'm James DiVirgilio alongside Alan Williams. We're excited to come to you today. It's Monday afternoon for us, depending on when you listen to this, whether you're on your jog or you're in your car. It could be any time this week before the always fun Florida-Georgia game. we got a lot to talk about in the program today. Before we do, something momentous happened on Saturday evening. Alan, where were you during the Florida State-Georgia Tech game when the Block 6 happened? I was here in my apartment, and someone just mentioned casually that Florida State was about hi it's jamie progressive number one number two employee leave a message at the hey jamie it's me jamie this is your daily pep talk i know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group mad harmony but you will bounce back i mean you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the name your price tool it should be you giving me the pep talk now get out there hit that high note and take mad harmony all the way to nationals this year sorry it's pitchy Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I to maybe go into overtime against Georgia Tech, and I was like, well, let me turn this on real quick. And I turned it on just, I mean, seconds before they lined up for that kick. And I couldn't believe it as it was happening. Uh, I probably shouldn't be taking so much joy from FSU losing, but I love to see them losing anything, you know, whether it's football or women's water polo. I don't really care. What about you? What was going on with you? So I was at College Football Central, my place, where I've got three flat screens on the wall monitoring the games. We were watching it as the whole fourth quarter wound down. And as soon as they lined up for the kick, all of us in the room were you know, thinking this is going to be a win for Florida yeah, State. Aguayo's I mean, great. Aguayo's automatic. He's the best kicker in college football. There's no way that he misses this. And then all of a sudden, it's blocked. All of us leave the couches we're on. We're on our feet. It's blocked. It's blocked. All right. 
And then we start yelling before anyone goes to pick up the ball, like, pick it up, pick it up. <laughs> because, you know, you realize they shouldn't just let it sit there. And, of course, I think the only Georgia Tech player that realized that was the guy that picked it up because everyone else is celebrating. And maybe that even helped him. I don't know. And next thing you know, he, he turns the corner. And uh, as he's running on the sideline, all of us are just yelling as if we're cheering on a horse in the Kentucky Derby. Yes. You know, the camera angle's tight. You can't tell if someone's yeah, going to tackle crazy. him. And it's like, is, is, what am I cheering for? Nothing. Then he makes it in the end zone, and I mean, it was just amazing. We just start sending texts out to every possible person I know that went to Florida State or likes Florida State or my friends that hate Florida State, and you know the typical thing that you do enjoy. Fantastic, enjoy the moment. It's the so. beauty of college football, really. Anything can happen. I loved it. It was tremendous. All right, enough reveling in FSU's <laughs> dismay. Let's you know take a moment here where this is a nice place to think about the season as a whole. We're coming off the bye week. So, James, give me your overall impressions or thoughts on this season so far. Well, so far it's been it's been a dream season with regards to the style with which we have played. I know you and I before the show today were, were looking at our records, and we each had us at five and two at this point, and we're at six and one. But I think the five and two I imagined in my mind was stylistically going to look a lot different than where we are now. And we've covered, of course, a lot, you know, the storylines before the season with Will Greer and others. And, and most of those things really came true from what we said. We were, we were on the money with a lot of the projections, but that was like the highest side of the variance for me. And we actually hit that and it just seemed too quick to get to that point, which was which was incredible. So really, all in all, it's exceeded every expectation that I've had with regards to the thing that matters to me the most as someone who watches with a, a critical eye or likes to think that I do is that. We, uh, we run a much more complicated system with regards to the offensive side of the ball. We're multiple. We're very hard to game plan for. We have a coach who's able to uh, use game theory and, and level, if you will, in predicting what his opponents are going to do to scout him. And we have a guy who has great attention to detail. And so I think that we're experiencing, hopefully, a renaissance, a rebirth, whatever you want to call it, of Gator football that at this point in time makes me believe is, is here to stay for, for the future. What about you? I think it's been really a dream season. Uh, I don't think anybody thought that we were going to be at this point and have so much success so quickly with such a young team. And we'll get into some of the position groups here in a minute. But really, though, as I stop and think about it, a crazy kind of roller coaster season, when you think about the incredible comeback at Tennessee where it was like, oh, you know, we're kind of left for dead, the blowout just crushing of Ole Miss – and then, obviously, the low point of season, Will Gurr suspension. So, uh, it's been a memorable season already, and we're only, you know, seven games in. But I've enjoyed it. I've loved it. It feels good. It feels like, you know, as a Gator fan, we've got a lot of hope. We've got a lot of uh, things to be excited about. So, overall, fantastic. Like you said, I can't really say enough about the coaching staff and the way they've shaped this team and developed it. Something I don't think we've really seen enough of in the last few years. Uh, really since probably the 08 team. And so, yeah, almost everything positive, fantastic. So let's break down then each position group. Okay, and, let's do it. And since you've been the personnel guru this year on the show, I'm going to have you give them a grade. Okay. And we're going we're gonna to start with, with one that was important right from the get-go. We highlighted their importance, the offensive line. Yeah, I'm going to have to give this group. Now, this is like a little bit of a grading on a scale here, or grading on a curve, I guess. Um, that I'm going to have to give them an A. From where this group could have been and what they've been able to accomplish and what you know Mike Summers, the offensive line coach, has been able to accomplish, uh, really fantastic you know, 
they've been they far exceed expectations. So I think we have to give them an A. Standout performer on the offensive line, if you can name just one. That's a tough one. Uh, I think the guy that has been the biggest surprise, maybe will come from that, is Fred Johnson, the, who's played a lot of right tackle for us. You know, especially with Martez Ivy being hurt. You know, he was a guy who wasn't heavily recruited. You know, wasn't thought of as like a superstar coming in. He's come in and been really solid. Let's look at the wide receivers, a spot that, again, we really highlighted in the beginning, and we played a game of how many catches would we make in a whole season. <laughs> and those of you who want to go back and dig into that week one podcast, you'll find that that number was, uh, was very low. Very low. Very low. And so we already know they've really exceeded on the upside, but, but give me a little bit about the grade and what you're thinking. I'm going to give them a, I'll, I'll say, you know, B plus Callaway um, and Brandon Powell have been excellent for the most part. Demarcus Robinson, while productive, still leaves like you wanting more from him at times, more consistency. But they've, I mean, this has been a position group that's been needing to be addressed for years. I feel like years and years and years we come in talking about this group needing to play better. And they've, they've done that. They've done better. Yeah, I think they've been they've been excellent. I think we've seen extremely good route running, which is something we haven't seen in years out of that position. They've caught nearly every pass thrown to them, which is also something we haven't seen in years. And they're extremely dependable. Uh, and they get better every week. And so it, it's exciting to finally see some production out of those spots. What about running back? I, I, you know, I'm going to have to give them a B- as a group. Kelvin Taylor's played like we wanted him to for the most part, but really haven't gotten as much out of Scarlett and Cronkite as we maybe hoped for at the beginning of the season. Yeah, Scarlett's a guy who I know I picked as a breakout player of the year, and I couldn't have been more wrong on that one. Seems to be fumbling issues in practice, um, along with protection issues, which a lot of freshman running backs struggle with. But it has been, I don't want to say disappointing, because Kelvin Taylor's been very solid, very consistent. He's running behind an offensive line. It's not a great run-blocking unit. Agreed. But I would have liked to have seen more flashes from the young guys. I think that's a that's a solid point. And of course, my favorite position group, the quarterbacks. What do you got there? I, you know, I'd I'd have to give them. Oh gosh, this is a tough one to grade, but I'm gonna have to give them a, a B plus as well. I think Will Greer really made a ton of strides. He wasn't playing perfectly by any means, but he was the guy that we wanted him to be in terms of a redshirt freshman. So that would that's what I would give him. What about you? Let me. Why don't you give this group a grade? Yeah, I want to say that my my lean is an A. And and again, it's like you said on the offensive line. It's not that this is an A when compared to everyone else. It's an A on the scale of where they should be. Mm -hmm. And we said it a lot on the show. Where Will was as a redshirt freshman is not a normal place to be. I mean, he grasps advanced pro-style concepts with regards to his technique and fundamentals that many college football quarterbacks will never get. So with that regard, he's knocking out of the park. And then if you look at Treon, Treon's numbers in and of themselves have been have been fine. Um, they've been above average against weaker opponents, and they've been certainly average against good opponents. He's, he's a guy, like we said in the beginning of the year, you need as a backup. He's a great backup. He can win you games. But he's also a guy that I'm going to continue to harp on technically with regards to the deficiencies he has for this offense. And I think sometimes people get that confused when we talk about that position. It's like, oh, well, you just don't like Treon, or oh, you're biased against him, or whatever. And it's just the reality that when you're comparing Treon and Will, there really isn't a comparison with regards to how they play the position. It's very, very different. 
And uh, I think Will's style is much better for how we want to run things. And that that's the way we'll believe it on this podcast. So with that, let's switch. Well, let's actually wait. Let's not switch sides of the ball. Let's talk about the probably most productive position group, the tight ends. Yeah, so I'm going to have to give them. I'll go back to a B-plus for them as well. Uh, you know, getting production out of all three guys, really, when Siante Lewis is in there. Uh, they're, you know, sometimes dynamic open field. Jake McGee's been everything we want him to be. The only place I would say that they need to improve, especially the young guys, is in their blocking. And that's something to play tight end, especially if you're going to have these guys on the field at all times, that they need to improve on still. Yeah, tight ends have been fun to watch. We certainly seem to be, and no one's given us this moniker yet, but we've, we're, we're becoming the New England Patriots offensive of college football, and I'm all about that. Let's switch sides of the ball now and start with the D-line. What are your thoughts? This is a, a group that's interesting to grade because they've uh, kind of the opposite of maybe the quarterbacks or the O-line. Really high expectations for them and what they're capable of. And I'm going to just give them a B. You know, at, at times they've been dominant, but they, they're capable of so much more. They have a ton of depth, a lot of guys. I mean, individually, you know, Bullard's played incredible, amazing job by him. I just think that that group is so strong that, you know, just really looking back at that LSU game is probably what lowers this grade a little bit for me. You know, is we needed them to probably come through and win the game for us, and they and they did it. And that's a lot to expect from a group, but that's what they're capable of. What about what you? About, I think the D-line is, has been a roller coaster, kind of like our season. You know, I know at times we called them out after a game. It's like, where's the defensive line? And the next game they answer the bell and they've got a bunch of sacks. You look at their rankings, we have like 21 sacks, I think, on the year, which is top 25 in the country. Uh, they've been very productive. I, I think the B grade is good because they have struggled uh, against, obviously, the zone read. They've struggled with gap responsibility a lot. They've gotten better, but I think for for having a top 10 pick in, in Bullard on your line in college football, you got to be able to build around that probably better than we have been. So the B grade feels feels right to me. Let's go to a position that's just way too thin for a school of our stature, linebacker. And I'll give us an A minus on that one, and that maybe feels high, but that I love the way that uh, Jared Davis has really stepped in. How thin this group is, and Morrison coming back. This is really just a heart like felt like reaching out to them. So maybe I'm just grading that with my heart there, but I'll give them an A minus just for the fact that they have like battled through and then we only usually play two of them at a time. So maybe that's a little soft grading, but yeah, it kind of feels like that. They haven't, you know, I pick on Morrison a lot. I think Morrison's really made a lot of strides this year. He still, he still struggles in coverage, but there's only, like you said, there's only two or three of them out there. They seem to be performing well, uh, given the level with which they're, they're being asked to do things. They're not being asked to do a whole lot. Um, but A, maybe B, you know, they're not, they're not exactly lighting the world on fire. They're not making a lot of plays. So A maybe seems a little bit of a reach, but I see where you're coming from there. You know, maybe if I'm going to be like a, a strict, like I'm going to grade them like as, uh, you know, a scout might grade them. It's probably going to be about a C. Right. But that group is those guys, especially Jared Davis stepping into a place where, Mm -hmm. you know, Anzalone hasn't really played at all. Morrison's coming off an injury. Really, this is maybe a reflection on him of how I think he's stepped into like, Really taking huge steps forward when we need them to. Yeah, they have filled the gap. What about corner? A spot that everyone in the in the country thought we were, you know, we're corner you. This is this is where we're strongest. What are you going with here? I'm gonna go A minus again here. I mean, at times they've been the type of dominant group, especially when you get them all on the field at the same time. But you know, they've 
they've missed a few. They're, they're again, like the D-line, capable of so much. And, I, you know, gosh, I think about Quincy Wilson just looking lost on that play against um, LSU on one of their touchdowns. I, I still want some more from this group. I, you know, one Quincy Wilson, or excuse me, Jalen Tabor, I don't want you suspended for a game. That's kind of downgraded. Vernon, you know, I have really high expectations for him. Obviously, he's going to be a top 10 pick, I think. And, you know, his tackling has been uh, suspect a little bit for him. So, again, I want more of this. This should be an A-plus group, and it's maybe just A-minus. Yeah, I think I almost go B here. And, and really, if for no other reason, there hasn't been a ton of production out of these guys with regards to passes defended or intercepted passes. And sometimes that happens when you have good cover corners. So that's not entirely a reliable the statistic. The quarterback just maybe throws it. Throws it, even. yeah, not even in their vicinity. But it just feels like a B to me. You know, I, I don't feel like they've they've done everything I want them to do. But certainly they... They've done well, but they have. They've. I want to say they've underachieved a little bit. You know, they've given up some big plays at certain spots yeah. where you need them, um, and they haven't necessarily carried that defense. Let's go. Let's go to one of my favorite positions to pick on safety spot. Oof. Uh, again, up and down season for them. Uh, Marcus May's been at times our best run defender. Uh, they both missed some time either with injury or suspension. I'm going to have to go really C-plus for them. I think there's a lot of talent there, and they're just not playing at the highest level. We saw Keanu Neal get sucked into that flea flicker, which is just what he can't do on that play if you're playing one high guy there. So your thoughts? Yeah, I'm just shaking my head vigorously as you said that because I constantly harp on this position because it seems like it's carried over from the Muschamp era where if if a team can successfully isolate a safety uh, run a play that's targeted out of safety. It seems like eight times out of ten, our safety makes the exact wrong judgment. And you mentioned Neil, you know, eating that fake like it was a piece of cake, and he's in a cover one, which, like you said, you don't come in. You're not a run stopper there, and he just ate it. And you know, Vern made a heroic play. I mean, a lot of people are dogging Vern on that. Yeah, Vern should have Vern should have been standing on his side of the field watching yeah. that play. You know, it was heroic that he almost caught up to it. He actually recognized it. Um, and, you know, Marcus May, who I think probably is legitimately our best run stopper at the line of scrimmage. I mean, I think he's better than any of our linebackers. He finds the right gap. He's a great tackler. I love the way we've utilized him. He's just proven throughout his career he's not a good cover guy. Yeah, on that, again, we keep bringing up LSU, but this is where yep. these mistakes really showed up on that end of the half where he just plays that about as poorly as you can play it on that coverage of the LSU touchdown, so that was hurtful. <laughs> it was, and there's other plays, too, in the second half of that game where they converted key thirds downs on him. It almost seemed like LSU was trying to target going one-on-one with the safeties, which is a smart strategy. I think if you look at our defense and you see a weakness, it is their ability to cover an open space. And, uh, you know, I'm gonna, I am gonna. I think C, C-minus feels right. They've done some nice things. They've tackled pretty well, especially Neil. He can tackle really well. But you need that position at Florida to be a plus position where we do good things. That, that's what needs to be done. And hopefully we'll we'll progress with that one. All right, special teams. I know this is we've given a lot of flack to this group, and I know you've been especially critical. I'm gonna have to go C minus uh, with the athletes that we have. There's no reason that we couldn't have just stellar special teams. I mean, punting has been excellent. Field goal kicking has obviously been an adventure. We did get the Callaway, you know, punt return the other week, uh, but overall this group. I know every time we kick the ball off, you and I are both like holding our breath that they're not going to return it. 
So C minus. Yeah, and the numbers back that up. You know, we're 90th on kickoff return average, and I know I've got a friend who is constantly texting me every game about why is Brandon Powell still running kicks back because he's not good at it. And he loves this guy. Loves Brandon Powell. I mean, he's his favorite player on the whole team. Um, and why isn't Callaway? And that's a good question. I think a lot of that is just durability. You don't want to wear a guy down. But certainly, there's a huge dichotomy there. We're top 25 in punt return yards. And we're like a hundredth, you know, ninetieth or something in kick return yards, which is which is interesting. Uh, we haven't gotten any kicks, you know, really blocked or, or any any punts blocked. We have a great punter, but yeah, all in all, at times like you said, it it feels undisciplined. We've had a lot of penalties out of that unit. If you look at our offensive defense, very few penalties. Special teams, most of our penalties. It doesn't feel like the rest of the team. You can't trust that position group, and, and it just feels like an outlier. So. I don't know if that's going to get better as the year goes on, but certainly they, to me, really don't fit with the rest of the team, uh, and that's what I think we're we're echoing here. And lastly, let's 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 grade the coaching staff as a whole. I'm gonna to have to go A plus here. I've loved the way the staff has taken what could be some really shaky position groups and gotten a lot out of them. I mean, no one expected this team to be six and one. You know, maybe seven and zero oh if we have Will Greer and headed towards a potential playoff spot. So I've I've loved what they've done with the team. You know, even at times it would you know not that they've been perfect, but for what they were stepping into and how much the movement they needed to create and change they needed to cultivate, they've done a fantastic job. Yeah, a plus for the coaching staff. I think McElwain assembled a really great staff, and more importantly, he really has illustrated that he understands how to run a football team from an X's and O's standpoint, as well as how to run a football staff from a leadership standpoint. And that's that's tremendous. That's been a huge win. It's been great to see. It's very, very comforting. And with that, let's revisit the schedule once let's again. Play this a little is, schedule. Yeah, game. a little earlier than we thought we would do it. But given, again, the fact that we have yet another variable in Treon being the quarterback, now feels like the right time to kind of reschedule out the rest of the season. Like we talked about, our preseason predictions had us at 5-2. and two. Our amended predictions still had us both at 5-2 and two at this point in time. So let's just go through it here and, and make a few assumptions. Well, let me run through it with you. Okay, let's just real quickly, UGA. We'll, we'll talk about win. this game in length. Win. I win. Feel that's a win for I'm going to go win here. Vandy. Definitely a win. It's at home. It's got to be a win. South Carolina. Absolutely a win. Win. Of course, FAU. Yep. Win. Win. Uh, FSU? I don't know is my legitimate answer because we're going to know. I will know. Talk to me after the South Carolina game and I will confidently give you an answer. I'm going to say right now that it's a win, um, but I will know for sure soon. What about you? That offense uh, hasn't shown me anything really, and we just saw it against a, a Georgia Tech team that had lost five in a row, and they couldn't come up with more than 16 points. Uh, so I'm going to go win. Now, if we're right about all these games, that's going to put us in the SEC championship game with one loss. You know, So let's say we make it to the SEC championship game. We don't know the opponent, but probable LSU, Bama, maybe Ole Miss after the weird stuff that's happened. With no opponent, what would you say, win or loss? Yeah, this is tough because it's all opponent-based for me. But I'm going to go ahead and ride my projection that Bama gets there. They looked really weak against Tennessee over the weekend, which which, whatever, that can happen. But if it's Bama, I'm going to say that we lose. If it's LSU or Ole Miss, I think we can win that game. I'm going to put it in as a loss, as a general loss. I think I think there's a lot of things that have to happen for us to be able to win that game. We'll know that. What about you? I'll say the same thing. I mean, I agree with you. Bama feels like that's a bad matchup for us. And then uh, LSU, obviously we crushed Ole Miss, but 
man, you know, that late in the season, anything can go. They're such an up-and-down team. Uh, they just beat the pants off A&M. That, I have zero ability to predict them. And then LSU, obviously, we can win that game on a neutral site, but still feels like a tough road to hoe for us. So I'm going to go lost there. So that, that would put us, you know, at a great spot. You know, a one loss regular season SEC East championship. You know, I think everybody would have taken that. No questions asked before the season. Oh, absolutely. And I, I would take it now, given the, the blow that we've had. And um, like I said, I think I'll know everything I need to know after the South Carolina game to know what we're going to look like. But now that we've gone in and wrapped up basically the benchmark, the halfway part of the season, we've kind of given you an overview and an overlook of, of what we've seen, what we thought in the beginning, what we think now. We're going to get back into the, the meat of sort of what we do here, which is interview guests and then talk about the upcoming opponent. And uh, with that, we have a great Gator Nation guest this week, and we're going to go ahead and bring him on the line with us now. We're joined now by Cody Jones, a beat writer for Scout.com, who mostly covers the Gators and does a great job of that. Cody, thanks for being on today. Hey, guys. Good to be with you. Okay, so Cody, you've uh, been covering the Gators for a little while. You're in the weekly press conferences, uh, you know, get to see the coaches and some of the players up close and personal in terms of Jim McElwain. uh, What are your overall impressions of him? Yeah, I think it's been really impressive so far. Um, You know, the the conversation with him and and really the whole, uh, whoever they were going to hire to replace Muschamp, I think everybody was kind of looking more towards the CEO approach. You know, Will Muschamp took this job. It was very well documented. There's no head coaching experience guy that has obviously a ton of, Really impressive experience on the defensive side of the ball, um, but that was about it. And, and you're seeing McElwain, even with just three years of, at Colorado State as a head coach, you're seeing how much uh, that has helped him and, and really just kind of shaped this program. Uh, it's really, he actually said something today that I think kind of was really funny and just kind of shows a little bit of this. He was talking about just the attention to detail he's trying to beat into his players' heads and make them understand all this kind of stuff. Um, and he was legitimately angry. You could see the frustration in his face that. They, they built this brand-new indoor practice facility, resodded all the, the outdoor fields right next to it, and they put these goalposts up there, and there weren't the little flags at the top of the goalposts to see which way the wind was blowing. And you could see the anger building in him a little bit, which seems kind of ridiculous, but I think that kind of goes to show just what he's trying to, to build and, and instill, not just in the players, but basically the entire program, the entire organization. And that's what you've seen change at Florida. The secondary, the support staff, basically, that he's got – is completely different looking than, than anything that Muschamp had, and really different than, than anything Meyer had here too. It's so much bigger, not even just bigger, but and there's there's so many experienced guys on there as well. Jason Garrett's brother, uh, John Garrett, I believe is his name, uh, was the Oregon State offensive coordinator last year. He's a member of that secondary staff that just focuses on basically spending a ton more time of watching uh, the practice film than the, the normal assistants do. They've got guys in there specifically for recruiting. Um, it, it's just the whole infrastructure of the program just looks totally different than it, it did even a year ago. I think that was the big focus for him coming in. He knew that this program simply wasn't where it needed to be as far as that stuff goes, uh, and he certainly changed that in a major way in just not even, not even close to a year at this point. So it's been really impressive. Really the way that the program looks now is just totally different than it ever did under much champ and even under Meyer for the most part. And you just did a nice job comparing and really contrasting the differences between McIlwain, at least with regards to press conferences and how he's built the program with that of Muschamp and then Meyer. Let's let's compare him to Meyer because Muschamp, I think we all know, was, was new. He was different. Uh, Meyer, though, is someone who's also known for attention to detail and building a program. 
if you could just dive a little bit further into the differences between what Meyer was doing to try to address the same things that McIlwain is doing and how you think that maybe one is better than the other or maybe one is longer lasting than the other. Yeah, no question. I mean, obviously, it's really easy, like you said, to point out the differences between this staff and the last one. But when you get into McIlwain Meyer stuff, it's definitely where it gets a little bit more interesting. And, and clearly, too, uh, with Meyer, I mean, when we're talking about I guess a, a, a much longer track record at Florida and, now, and obviously what he's doing at Ohio State now. So th- there's clearly more sustained success there. But what McElwain's doing, we're still seeing just the early stages of it. So I think what he's doing is kind of laying the groundwork for this thing to be sustainable. They've got within the secondary staff, the, the, the recruiting aspect of it, they've got guys on this thing with ties all over the state of Florida. And, and that's obviously been a big part of what they're trying to do because – I mean, the reality of this thing is when you hire a guy named Jim McElwain, it's not exactly turning the heads of, of every high school player in the state of Florida. So what they've had to do in these past couple of weeks is go, uh, or really in these past couple of months, but even this past week he said that they can already tell the differences of what they've shown on the field. The Florida brand is starting to be rebuilt a little bit more in the, in the minds of high school players. So I think that's a big part of it too because of that secondary staff and when you've got a guy who can delegate too. That's the other part of this. And I think it's well documented that Meyer wasn't really great at the delegation part of what comes with, with being a head coach, but that's something that you're seeing that McElwain really has a good grasp on. When you have such a deep staff and, and uh, assistant coaches that he has that he trusts as much as he does, and he, and he can give those guys, he can delegate to those guys and allow them to take care of stuff. And then the secondary staff, they can, they can handle some of that stuff as well. I think it takes a lot of weight off his shoulders. Obviously, there's still a ton that he has to do as a head coach, but when you've got guys that you trust like that, I think that makes his job just a whole lot more easy. Uh, whereas you saw, and Myers even admitted this, back in that 2009 season where Florida started number one and all sorts of expectations, I think he kind of felt like he had to take care of everything, right? Even down to the smallest details, he had to make sure it was done properly and everything like that. And now he says that he's learned since then, and I certainly think he has, just seeing the sustained, sustained success he's had at Ohio State these past few years. But you're seeing McElwain kind of lay the groundwork for this program and making sure that this thing is sustainable, and because that's what the way that I think he sees this program is one of those big-time few jobs that not a lot of guys get a lot of chances at. So he wants to make sure he's laying this thing properly and, and, and certainly building it the right way. So you get to experience him as a media member. How do you think he's done handling – the media, because obviously it's a big jump from being at Colorado State to Florida. Yeah, no question. And I think he got a little bit of a taste of it at Alabama, maybe not anything close to being a coordinator, but I think obviously he's still at a big big program and saw what that was like. Um, certainly, that, and there's been changed media policies this year. We're actually allowed to watch the first, I think it's 10 to 15 minutes of practice. And granted, there's nothing ever huge that comes from that, but you get to see uh, the, you know, the injured guys, how they're looking and all that kind of stuff. And that was never even a negotiable issue in the past couple of years under Muschamp. So that's been different. Um, you know, I, I think the, the assistant coach stuff is different too. His coordinators, McElwain's coordinators, actually don't talk to media at all after media days or after uh, the, the Florida media day that they had here. Uh, he he kind of rotates to his assistants and he likes the way that that goes because when he was under Saban at Alabama, when he was the offensive coordinator, he didn't have to talk to the media and he thought that really benefited him to just kind of all in on the game plan and, and figuring out what the team was doing. So I think that's something that's been interesting, whereas the past couple of years, I think we got the coordinators every single week. So that's something that, that he has valued quite a bit. Um, but I think he's seen him kind of come in, and, and, and he's got a very folksy personality, and I think he's used that to kind of get everybody on his side. He, you know, he, he's, he maybe doesn't always do the greatest job of answering everybody's questions as straightforward that I think that, that we would like at, at press conferences, but it's very clear he knows what he's doing, and 
and he's got that that sense of you kind of think he's kind of goofy sometimes, but he, he, I think he knows how to play that sense of that sense of humor and, and that personality up a little bit. And it's really hard not to like the guy just because of that. So you said a couple of things already, but do you have any more thoughts on how he's accomplished so much so quickly? Because I think he's ahead of most people's timeline for putting this program back on track. Yeah, no question. I, I mean, gosh, I don't know anybody that, that would have predicted a double-digit win season this year, and now it looks like that's certainly possible for this team. Um, I think the most impressive part that you've seen with this offense, and everybody knew this was going to be a work in progress with this group and this offensive line that just had so many questions and so many holes on this roster. That has been what stood out to me. Is that this unit still, I mean, it was very clear against LSU that, this, that that unit was a weakness, but I think for the first six games or so, it wasn't really all that noticeable. I mean, there's, there were obviously some plays here and there where that was the case, but they have really game-planned around for the most part and have been moving the quarterback around quite a bit, and I think you'll see a lot more of that now with Treon Harris in there. But I think that's what's been so impressive. I mean, there are obvious deficiencies on this roster, and I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, but the fact that they've been able to do this so far uh, and kind of coach around those for the most part. And, you know, the other part, too, I think they've had some injury luck on their side a little bit. I mean, if they had any issues on the offensive line or at linebacker or maybe a couple of these starters got hurt, then I think they would be in some pretty serious trouble. But for the most part, they've been able to stay healthy and just kind of find a way to to piece this thing together. You saw, obviously, with uh, the offensive line last week at LSU, they gave Martez Ivey his first start at guard, and Caddy handled that pretty well. So they're, they're still moving these pieces around. But you always wait till that bye week. It seems you think back over the, the past even four or five years, there's always been a new wrinkle or two here or there that even the old staff would come up with through that bye week when you've got two weeks to work with something and now going to a new quarterback for Florida. I think that's what I'm most interested to see is what, what do they come up with for this Georgia game? Are they trying to move Harris out of the pocket a little bit more? Because I think that's going to be the challenge for him is seeing down the field, seeing over the offensive line to the middle of the field. Um, because that's kind of been an issue for him in the past. So they've got to find ways to make this thing work, but from what we've seen so far, I don't think there's any reason to believe they won't do it. And speaking of quarterbacks, what's the latest on Will Greer, and and do you think we'll ever find out what he took? (laughs) I I think if we haven't at this point, I I don't think we will. And and it's been pretty clear at this point. Florida has told us basically – that they can't say anything about what it is, and they need clearance from basically Greer's family for that to be out there. So that's kind of what everybody's waiting on at this point. But if it hasn't happened at this point, yeah, I'm with you. I think I'm a little skeptical that it ever will. So I think that's kind of where that's at right now. Obviously, they're in the appeals process in terms of his eligibility. Um, There's been all sorts of stuff out there about, you know, maybe uh, he could even come back at the beginning of next year, just different ways that this could go. I mean, there's all sorts of rumors anytime you get into any sort any sort of situation like this. Um, I, I don't really know when we're going to hear anything. Uh, maybe it's black and white, to be honest with you. But uh, I, I think that's kind of the, the big question still out there is what exactly did he took or did he take? Because then you can start uh, filling in maybe I guess what they're what they're appealing and, and and everything based on that. So I think that would clear a lot of things up. But I'm I'm with you. I'm a, a little skeptical that at this point that we'll ever hear what it is. And and Cody, as just a sort of logical follow-up to that would you and the media having covered all sorts of events assumed that if this this substance that will took was benign let's call it or something that would have helped him build a case in the court of public opinion that he as a family you know will's parents would have released this to help his case and that the opposite is also true if it's something that seems like "Mm, you know that's not something you necessarily just get a gnc it would work against him don't release it is there some thought that maybe that's kind of what's going on here is that they're not releasing it because it does look kind of bad or, or do you think there's nothing to that 
Well, I, mean, I think that's easy to go there and to think about that, at least being a possibility. I think that certainly uh, makes a lot of sense logically is maybe a reason why they wouldn't. Um, but at this point, I don't really know. I mean, maybe it's that some of the, the legal advice they've received is that there's, there's no value in putting it out there other than, like you said, just the, the public opinion more than anything. But I think that's something that you know, they've, I, I would imagine, have weighed the, 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 the pros and cons with. But I, I just don't, I don't really know the answer at this point. I, I still think that's probably something they were told legally, just, hey, maybe don't say anything about it because there, there might not be any value in it necessarily being out there. Sure. And so there's also some rumors that, you know, I don't know, kind of behind the scenes that Florida feels at least somewhat confident in like the appeal process or at least somewhat hopeful, maybe not confident, not the right word. Um, Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I, I think obviously, uh, I'd imagine they they probably wouldn't go through this whole process if, if they didn't have at least something they felt positive about, or at least at least was worth a shot. I think that's the big thing too. And I mean, look, this the whole the whole rule in itself is kind of it seems extremely harsh. Maybe that's something they go after and just say, you know, this is a rule that needs to be looked at in the off season about potentially being changed because. I mean, you can get into the the crazy black hole of, well, this is a year suspension and all these crazy laundry list of things that are only a three-game suspension. I mean, it just kind of gets out of control at that point. So I think maybe that's something that they look at and, and push them with the NCAA. But, um, yeah, at, at this point, I think that's probably still something that they, even if they did feel good about it, I think it, it, still, it still probably would be cautious optimism at, at this point, um, regardless of if it's everything dropped or he, he comes back for next season or whatever they were to rule for it. All right, Cody. Let's change change gears here as we as we wind down this uh, this great segment with you. So each week we ask our guests, especially our Gainesville guests, and you are in fact a local Gainesville resident along with Alan and I, what their favorite restaurant is. So in this wonderful town of really cool independent restaurants, do you have a favorite? And if so, what is it? So uh, about a month ago, I probably would have given you the Four Rivers answer, which is probably stale. I figure that's probably what a lot of people would, would give you guys. I found a new barbecue place downtown called Mojo's, I believe. Mm-hmm. Great oh, yeah. barbecue place. That's a that's been actually my wife and I's kind of favorite place in, in the past few months, and we've probably been there more than I'm willing to admit at this point. So that's been <laughs> our that, that's been my my new go to uh, in just the last month or so. Though, I think it's fairly new. Do you have an entree item that you that you recommend the uh, listeners check out? Well, see, I'm a big brisket guy, so that's why that's why Four Rivers is already high on the list, but. Gosh, I, I kind of feel sacrilegious here saying this, but I think I would go with their brisket over Four Rivers at this Whoa. point. That's a big statement, Cody. I have, I have it, not it really tried it there. Yeah. I had to think about this for a couple of weeks. I, I haven't actually said that out loud until now. So <laughs> well, just, okay. uh, yeah, we'll see exclusive. how it sits with you. If you want to call us back and take it back, yeah, we'll let you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, Cody, give us your prediction. Who's going to win and give us a score? Gosh, I hate predicting this Florida-Georgia game so much because it, it doesn't matter what you ever predict. Something you never expected was going to happen is the actual outcome. I still think when you just when you look at it on paper, I, I'm going to take Florida by, I'll say, 24 to 20. Um, I think this game is always way closer than it should be, even when it looks pretty clear that one opponent is better. But this whole bye week thing, I think it, it benefits Georgia quite a bit right now because that offense has been a complete disaster recently. But gives them a little bit of a, a chance to, to take a step back and try to figure out what they want to do with the quarterback position, try to give Sony Michelle a, a, a little bit more of a different look um, at the at the running back spot. I think they figure out a little bit of something on offense, and then it, it's just on the Florida defensive staff to, to kind of react to it. And I think they've done a good job of that stuff so far. So I think you're going to see Georgia offense come out that looks a lot different than the past couple of games that, that they've looked. But 
ultimately I just think this Florida defense is too talented to let them go up and down the field the whole game. And I trust this offensive staff, honestly, more than anything, to, to, to figure out a way to piece this together and use Treon Harris' legs and, and move him out of the pocket and, and just kind of score enough points and, and find enough in the running game, too, because that's been something that's been just basically non-existent in recent weeks. So that, that, I think that's the challenge for Florida. But, again, everything we've seen on, on paper from this staff so far makes a whole lot of sense that they'll be able to find something to work that works and, and go from there. All right, Cody, thank you so much. Appreciate the time you've given us and all your insights. Uh, you can find Cody on Twitter at, at Scout. So give him a follow. He's got a lot of great insights on football and baseball. Check him out there. Again, thanks, Cody, so much. Appreciate it, buddy. Anytime, guys. Thanks. Let's turn our attention to this upcoming game against Georgia. I, I think here at Florida, we don't we don't call anything special. I know, I know the Georgia fans hate week. <laughs> but here, for us, we have our own history of the rivalry. So when I say Florida-Georgia rivalry, what do you think of, Alan? I love this game. I grew up in Jacksonville and got to go to the game a ton growing up. Been to it most of my time in college and out. And I, I love it. I mean, it's such a unique atmosphere. We've won majority of the times, uh, so that's been nice. I remember the losses very vividly. Uh, this has been a really special like moment. I think each year for me, I get to go back home to Jacksonville, see my family, go to the game. I love it. It's, I you know, I don't think most people understand if you haven't been to the game, how incredible it is. I mean, on every place, somebody is excited. Something is going on. It's just the whole you know inside and outside the stadium. There's just such an energy around this game that's unique to anything else. What about you? Yeah, it's really a super fun rivalry game to go to. I think of the landing, which has to be like the most overrated thing. I know people love going there. I think Only for Florida, Georgia. People yeah. think it's like that all the no, time. No, it's, it's definitely not. But I think even as a college undergrad, I remember going and thinking there ha- there's, there just has to be better stuff than this. But, you know, it's still, <laughs> still something people love. But the tailgating scene's phenomenal. The game is incredibly fun. Um, and, and there's been a lot of obviously great games in between there. So it's something you look forward to on the schedule. It's really unique. I mean, I believe there's really only a couple of these left that are committed to doing it every year. Uh, one of them, of course, which is Texas, Oklahoma. I think it's only the and, real major two. Yeah, and I think that's it. So it's down to these two. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful rivalry. Lots of fun. Looking forward to it this weekend. And with this rivalry comes a history of a bunch of close games in sort of any kind of circumstance. We could be great and they're terrible, it's close. Vice versa, it's close. We're both terrible, it's still kind of close. It just seems to be the way that it is. Weird games. Like the last couple of years, I mean, even with all these Georgia wins, and even under the, when I think back to the Zook years, I mean, we should have had no business winning some of those games that we did. Every game the last couple of years, it came down to either, you know, a fumble at the goal line, a couple crazy picks by Driscoll, you know, last year, who could have foreseen that result coming that we would just run all over and they couldn't stop a simple counterplay? I I have no idea what to expect from this game now because <laughs> it's been so crazy. Yeah, I, I think the Zook here's redefined bubble screen for me. Like, I hated that play. I still hate that play. I think there's ways to run it that I like it, but after Zook <laughs> ran bubble screen left and bubble screen right to get a win with that, all day. it's like permanently, it brings a smile to my face whenever I think of the bubble screen. And of course, there's a whole bunch of weird things going with that. Uh, you know, I know one other memory I think of is, is win or lose, that drive back to Gainesville. It's like a really unique drive. There's a bunch of Gator fans driving back, and if you've won, you're happy, you're reliving the game, and if you've lost, it's this like morbid 
drive where you're just sort of going to these little tiny towns in Florida reflecting on you know what happened this past weekend uh, so going right into the game we had a bye week they had a bye week we've learned some things they've learned some things both teams are missing very important players they're missing Chubb we're missing Greer what's our game plan like what do you think we're doing do you think we're changing anything what, do you, what are you feeling I'm hopeful with this you know that the it really comes down to can Nussmeyer and McElwain and the rest of the offensive coaches can they put together a game plan that's going to highlight Treon's strengths and mask his weaknesses. Um, they weren't able to do that as much against LSU, but I, I feel like with this time, I, I don't, I have confidence in them that they can do something. Uh, Georgia doesn't have a lockdown defense; they have a good defense, and they have some special players on that side of the ball. But they're not; it's not impossible to on them. I think uh, so. There's opportunities here for us. I'm excited to see what we come up with um, coming out of the bye week. I think there's there's some blaze. Like we said at the beginning of the season, Treon is capable of running an offense that is at least competent and capable and effective. And so that's what we need. I think that's maybe all we need against Georgia and moving forward. What about you? I think we've seen McElwain illustrate very well that he understands how opponents are going to game plan for him. Uh, I think maybe vice versa is true with Jeff Collins. I think Jeff's proven to be maybe a, I don't want to say poor game planner. That's not accurate, but... He's definitely a much better adjuster. If you look at our second halves under Jeff Collins, they're really strong compared to maybe the opening quarter or so. It tends to be the other way. Whereas I think McElwain is really just well-prepared on offense all the time. And we've scored on a lot of opening drives. Um, I think the bye week should only accentuate that effect for us. So I do think that's a benefit for us more so than it is for Georgia. It seems that's the way it's been in the past too. So I think the main thing, and Cody actually kind of mentioned this just for a moment when we talked with him, Treon has to be able to throw the ball over the middle. And I imagine they spent the past two weeks of practices, well, one week and the week that's coming up, on doing things to create comfort places for Treon to throw the ball over the middle of the field. And that you can do that in a variety of ways. You could roll the pocket and then spread linemen to where he's throwing through a gap. But he has to hit the middle of the field. Georgia saw what we saw against LSU at the end. They saw the film where Treon really struggled against zone defense. I expect them to play a lot of zone Whereas I think generally you think, hey, let's play man against a young quarterback. But with McElwain's sort of schematics, it's not ideal. I expect to see a lot of zone. And I expect them to make Treon actually make passes from the pocket. So edge contain, possibly a spy, and zone. And I think McElwain knows that. So I imagine we spent a whole lot of time on that. I think if we can adequately address that, we can beat Georgia. Uh, this Georgia team statistically actually looks okay. You know, a lot of the fans I think are on the, on the freak out panic mode. But oddly enough, their statistics are okay. But I think they don't pass the eye test. They perform very poorly in the two real challenges they've had. Um, and this should be this should be a game that we're able to win. And the bye week should only make our chances of winning that much better. So, yeah, Grayson Lambert, their quarterback, I mean, he's a guy I don't think that can play against an elite defense. Anytime he's done well, it's been against someone suspect. When they run up against a quality opponent, he you know, really has trouble executing their offense. They're without Nick Chubb. Um, this is such a weird game. We I've I just spent like five minutes talking about it. Uh, it's difficult to predict. But what are some things that Florida needs to do well? You know, overall in this game, what are some keys actually that you you feel like you need to see happen offensively, defensively, special teams for us to win? Yeah, I'll start with defense because against LSU, we said the defense needed to really play well, and they didn't. And we would have won if they did. Um, I'm gonna say the same thing here. 
it's not to the same degree as it was against LSU, you know, especially without Nick Chubb, but they need to play well. And well means that in the first half, Georgia needs to have less than 10 points. Um, that's well, you know, and they need to, they need to really keep their running game in check. Georgia is a play action team. They always have been. That's what Mark Richt runs. He feeds off play action. If they don't run the ball well, then play action is, is dead. It's predictable passing downs. That's when we are at our best. We are a very, very good team in third down and predictable pass. Um, if we get them into that situation, I think they're going to have a really, really long day out there. So I'm going to say stopping the run is what I'm looking for on defense first and foremost. Um, and then on offense and the flip side, like we talked about, I'm really almost solely watching Treon's ability to throw the ball over the middle. I think when you look at film, that's what each coaching staff is going to be addressing. If he can do that, I think Georgia's staff will have a backup plan to say, okay, hey, if he's hitting this pass early on, what do we go to next? And I think McIlwain will have correctly anticipated that, and then we will see the next phase of our offensive deployment. If it doesn't get past that point, I think this could become one of those Florida-Georgia games we've seen under Driscoll where it's like this really ugly back-and-forth kind of turnover-related field goal-kicking game um, that I don't want it to become. So I think those are the two things that if we can do those things, then it won't become that kind of game when we should win. I mean, I know the spread's only three, but I feel much more comfortable than that. Yeah, I my analytics side says we're going to be able to shut them down and we should put up enough points to win. Uh, agreed. So Keys, I, I think on offense, we've got to find a way. This sounds like ESPN commenter. you got to run the football to win. But I don't think that's normally as true as they make it out to be they got to take a little bit of pressure off Treon that when we do run the ball, we're gaining some kind of yardage. So we're not putting him in, him in bad down and distance positions. I don't think he can be effective dropping back, hitting like a 15 yard out kind of play. So if we're not running the ball, I think again, it's going to be a really just a slog kind of a game. Like you said, we don't want it that we don't want to come down to kicking. Who knows who's our kicker is going to be. We just held open tryouts this past week. Is Austin Harden healthy? Who knows? We might be playing a walk-on off the street this week. Don't want it to get to that point. So, uh, feels very difficult to like foresee what's going to happen in this game. But give me a prediction. Give me a score. I feel I feel so confident, and I'm going to say this every week. So just get ready for it and be ready to be sick of it. But I feel so confident if Will is at the helm with Treon. I still feel confident because. I think McElwain will progress him, not with the technical skills, not with the footwork, but with what he's comfortable with to move the ball, to game plan, literally game plan to score 15, you know, 14 points or so out of him. And if we get those, plus a few random turnovers are probably somewhere in the 20s. And that's a win against Georgia. So I like, uh, you know, 27, 27-13, 27-17. I feel like it's going to be rather comfortable. And I'm going to I'm gonna go 27-13 in a very comfortable Florida win as my prediction. And uh, I'm going to stick with that. What do you got? I'm going to go 27-24 Florida. And <sighs> baked in there are some wild plays, some broken plays, maybe a special teams touchdown or interception, fumble return. Some on both sides. I think that's going to inflate the score a little bit. Otherwise, I would pick a much lower score. But I'm just kind of baking in the wildness of this game. Yeah, I feel so the same way. I mean, my 27, I think, definitely includes short field and other things. I think that's that's going to be a, a permanent part of our game plan going forward. I don't, I don't see Treon leading the offense to 450 yards of production against the better defenses. And Georgia is one of the better defenses in the SEC, um, even though Alabama obviously just annihilated them in that particular game. So before we go out with today's show, before we uh, you know, really end our portion and then go into our guests, did you have any 
closing thoughts about Florida Georgia rivalry? Any any closing stories, feelings, anything that really just sticks out to you? Uh, yeah, I think overall, um, I remember in 2007 being at the game with my mom. No, excuse me, not 2007, 1997. My mom took me to the game. I was in high school. And that was the first time Georgia won. And she's a big Georgia fan. And she still reminds me about that game <laughs> to this day. So, Mom, if you're listening, I'm sure you're thinking about 1997 and the Bulldog victory. What about you? <laughs> that's great. Having met your parents, too, that's especially great. For me, I mean, I, there's a lot of good memories. Probably the most fun one is in 2007, we had you know, a friend of the program, Peter Tebow, on the show. And it was him and I and his brother, Tim. We had lost that game. And the three of us are coming back in, in Peter's old red pickup truck driving through Stark on Sunday morning. And Tim's kind of in the backseat throwing a football. And, and he had, I guess the day before, discovered the song by Corey Smith called Every Dog. And it's really a song that the Georgia fans probably listen to in most years. It, it kind of laments them losing to Florida and driving back from the game. If you haven't listened to it, you really should. It's, it's pretty insightful. But that memory was a, just a really weird one. You're kind of just riding in the car with Peter and Tim Tebow and... After a loss, which it had been a long time, really, you know, since we had lost that game, a and, and uh, it was weird. It was a weird feeling. Losing to Georgia just didn't feel right. And ever, ever since then, and on to this day, every time I lose to Georgia, it just doesn't feel right. Like my life means we we beat Georgia. That's what it means to be a Gator fan. And uh, hopefully this week it will be the same. Yeah, and so this is kind of like we said, a, a really fun environment. It's unique. There's really almost nothing like it in sports other than Texas, Oklahoma. And so this classic neutral site game, we wanted to get, you know, not just our perspective and our memories. We want to bring in somebody from a UGA fan perspective, someone who has lived and breathed this rivalry from the other side. And we're going to get a chance to hear all his memories and thoughts and even his thoughts on this year's Georgia team. We're joined now by a friend of the podcast, Chris Collins. He's a UGA grad, mega fan of the team. And a noted legal scholar. So, Chris, thanks for being on today. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. So, I know you've grown up a lifelong Georgia fan, and you know you're one of the fa- part of the fan base that's under fifty. So, uh, a little bit of a rough history with the, you know, with the series, probably most of your life up until recently. <laughs> Tell me about yeah, growing absolutely. up with that. Yeah, um, definitely difficult. Uh, I remember. Uh, the first time that I remember Georgia winning was back when Robert Edwards was playing for Georgia in 1997. Uh, the second win took a very long time to arrive. I went to many games down in Jacksonville, and uh, I kind of started to associate uh, that whole trip kind of negatively as far as you know leaving the stadium, very disappointed, um, frustrated, very jealous of all the um, obnoxious and excited Florida Gator fans. Um, and things didn't really change while I was in college either. Um, but recently it's been a lot better for sure. And tell me about the experience. I know it's different, but I'm not sure if all the other Gator fans do. So if you're here in Florida, a lot of people drive up and spend the weekend in Jacksonville, but I know for the Georgia fans, it's a little bit different. So walk us through what sort of the typical experience is for a Georgia fan coming down to Jacksonville for the game. Yeah, so I think that a significant portion of our fan base uh, kind of camps out in St. Simons Island, Georgia. And so that's going to be uh, roughly 45 minutes uh, to an hour north of Jacksonville. Um, and, you know, St. Simons Island is not a very huge place. Um, but when you get there, normally most people will arrive sometime around Thursday. 
Um, I know that while I was in undergrad, we had Thursday and Friday off of classes most of the time. And so we'd get down there um, and, you know, it was, it's almost very comforting to be around other Georgia fans. Kind of, It's the hype. You really start to feel it. Kind of everywhere you go, there's a ton of Georgia fans. You're starting to get really excited. Um, and so most of the time I would, I would wake up Saturday mornings just – you know, ready to to watch a Bulldog victory. I mean, that's kind of how you feel. It just kind of bruised. And, um, you know, another big aspect of it, too, is on the beach, uh, Fridays before the game uh, on St. Simons, it really gets quite ridiculous. Um, just a ton of college students um, on the beach having a, a very good time. You see some things that you don't normally see uh, on beaches, um, and so it's really one huge party. And, you know, the positive part about that for Georgia fans is, you know, we really are kind of insulated in our own Georgia community. So, you know, win or lose, it's not as bad uh, Saturday or Sunday coming back to St. Simons and kind of still being around that. Um, but definitely a lot of fun. Uh, really what turns out to be a three- or four-day event. And, you know, the trip down to the game on Saturday – uh, you know, obviously a lot of tailgating down in Jacksonville for that as well because you're so close. You can really get there quick. Um, a lot of vans and buses taking drunk fans down to the game and back, providing safe travel, so that's good. I've been on a couple of those. Um, but, yeah, it's a really good time. Really unique. Yeah, that's what we were talking about with this kind of game. So, yeah, what are your feelings on that kind of like split stadium? Like what do you think about at the game itself? Yeah, that's a lot of fun. I feel – I feel like uh, the Florida fans are, are very loud. There's, I, you know, we we do feel like we're at a little bit of a disadvantage playing in Jacksonville every year. Um, I think that, you know, there are slightly more Florida um, fans in the stadium. And so that kind of – you can kind of tell when Florida's doing well um, that that's the case. But, yeah, I mean, as, as far as you can see, you know, it's split right down the middle. And um, it's really – like you're saying, it's, it's a unique atmosphere. There's no other game I've been to – quite like that i mean it's a significant enough portion of each fan base to where you know if your team's doing well you make that great play i mean it's an eruption as if you're in your home stadium you know as if you're in sanford stadium not quite to the same degree um but you know i think it's it's enjoyable for both sets of fans it's it really is a, a fun atmosphere it's a great way to do a game um we miss not being able to to check out gamesville and, and show y'all athens but you know, what we got going on in Jacksonville is pretty special, too. And, Chris, talk to me about how Georgia fans or how you feel about Florida. I mean, do you hate the Gators? Are they, you know, one of your number one or two rivals? Like, where where do they rank in the feelings of Georgia yeah, fans? Yeah, I mean, you know, Florida's the worst. Um, we, uh, I think as far as I'm concerned, I grew up really hating Florida. I think I'm, I'm aware enough to understand that a lot of that was jealousy growing up. Um, you know, just seeing Florida win every year. It just became a game that you desperately wanted the Bulldogs to win. And so when that finally starts happening, I think those victories are more sweet uh, than victories. And specifically over our other rivals like Georgia Tech and, and Tennessee, South Carolina. I mean, we beat those teams fairly regularly. Even Auburn recently, they've had some success. but We've kind of owned that series recently. So beating Florida always felt different because it's something that did not happen very often. Um, and so for me, growing up in that time time period, I really hate Florida more than I hate the other other teams, even though 
I don't really run into Florida fans as much. Um, I have the ability to get to know some Florida fans over the last few years. Uh, people that graduated from there, and I was I was educated that you know not everybody's terrible <laughs> and mean that comes from down there. I think that was one of my big takeaways as a fan: is Florida fans are really mean. They're like verbally abusing me as we're leaving the stadium. It's terrible. Um, but I know that's not the case for the majority of Florida fans. Just like you know, it's the same for any SEC school. But, yeah, I mean, definitely my number one game that I would like Georgia to win every year is the Florida game. That's excellent. Okay, well, let's talk about actually this year's team. And, you know, I'm sure as a a Georgia fan, it was a blow having losing Nick Chubb. But, you know, even even greater issues. Like, what do you feel like is wrong with the offense this year? Yeah, we've got problems, guys. I think that as a fan base, we're pretty discouraged. Um you know, and, and there's a lot of people that kind of receive blame for it. There's the, the very common blame Mark Rick because, you know, whatever is wrong, it is ultimately his fault. Um, we've got a lot of people that are upset with the offensive coordinator. It's, you know, Brian Schottenheimer's first year uh, with Georgia, but also I think it might be his first year as an offensive coordinator at the collegiate level. Um, so a lot of people don't necessarily love the decisions that he's making. Uh, one of the big controversies for us has been the quarterback position. And Grayson Lambert, I mean, it's it's been a frustrating season. He's he's very much Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I mean, we can I can point to a handful of really great throws and um he's had even the game against South Carolina a record setting performance. And so he's got that side and then you've got the side that seems to consistently be throwing it to the other football team, whether they catch it or not. I mean, Missouri should have had about five picks in the last game. Uh, and I'm not exaggerating. If you go back and watch that film, very well should have been five picks. Um, so I think that that's been a source of angst because people want to see the second guy, and then he, you know, the backup, got into the Alabama game and immediately threw a pick six. And so that wasn't very encouraging for anyone. Um, so I think we're more – we don't know what to think. I mean, if, if Grayson Lambert is the best we have, then – we're in trouble, and so it's it's really hard, I think, for Georgia fans to be optimistic going into this game because we don't have Nick Chubb to lean on to kind of overcome that. Uh, Sonny Michelle's a really good football player, our other running back, um, really special out in space, good receiver. Um, he will hopefully bust some long runs. He's a he's a really special player, but as far as you know, every down, moving the chains on his own, we don't have that, and we've been really quite terrible in third down. That's probably our, our biggest biggest concern on offense, too. And, and that really comes from the quarterback play. I mean, if we're counting on Grayson Lambert or whatever quarterback we have uh, to be making that play on third and eight, I guess as fans, we're not very confident that that's going to work out. Not that he can't do it because he's got the ability. It's just there's something missing there. So let's talk for a second about Mark Richt, and you mentioned this earlier. If you're Greg McGarity and you're the athletic director – what are you doing with Mark Richt? What do you think should be done about Mark Richt? Me personally, I I fall more into the pro Richt camp. Um, but even I, I mean, this year has been quite discouraging. I think part of the problem that we've had is, as a fan base, our expectations got a little too high after the South Carolina game. That's a game that we normally struggle with, and we absolutely destroyed them. I think that speaks more to how bad they've been this year. They're kind of struggling. Um but, you know, as a fan base, as, as we got so excited and, 
I really played at that Alabama game, the letdown and the fallout from that, a lot of people are upset with Mark Richt. And so I think you're seeing the fan base turn a little bit and start to ask the question, you know, why do we think that it'll ever get better than where we're at right now? Um, and so it seems like the administration at Georgia has, I guess, a little more commitment to the football program in these last few years than um, well, really, probably in the last calendar year than we've seen in the past. Not that it hasn't been important to us, but the new president and athletic director seem very committed to you know, paying coaches and doing whatever it takes to kind of get at the same level, get to the same level that some of these other SEC schools are at. Um, so part of me wants to give Mark Rick the chance with, with a better backing from the administration, uh, deeper pockets from you know, the University of Georgia, and so that's kind of where I'm at. Now, if we go out and lose to Kentucky and Georgia Tech and Florida um, and even Auburn, that would, I think that, that that could be a serious problem for Mark Rick. I don't think that one 8-4 and four or 9-3 and three season is going to get him fired, uh, but I think that the expectations for him to do better next year uh, would increase significantly to the point where then he might be coaching more for his job next year. I don't think it's – it's hard for me to see a scenario where he leaves this year. And I don't necessarily think he should. I mean, Georgia is a program historically has never been uh, as successful over a 15 year period than we had the last 15 years. So everybody's chasing that national title, but only one team gets that every year. So I think it'd be, it'd be a little difficult to throw the baby out with the bathwater with Rick just because of that. Well, thanks for sharing those thoughts. I know that's always a controversial subject with Georgia fans is, you know, is Mark Rick this stable, legendary coach, or is he, you know, basically a guy who's run his course? And I don't feel like, I think Georgia fans feel like they waffle on either side, depending on the game. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you this about the city of Athens itself. Great city. I personally enjoy it a lot. Unfortunately, Florida fans don't get to go on the road there. But if they do find themselves in Athens, you give them a, a restaurant recommendation. What's your go-to spot? Okay. My, my favorite date spot with my wife is last resort. And it's a little cliche. People in Athens, I mean, it's been around for a very long time. Um, but I mean, it's just so high quality. The food you're getting, I mean, you can depend on it being great, whatever, um, you know, whatever entree you order, it's going to be fantastic. Also, I mean, the atmosphere is solid. It's right in the middle of downtown. So, you know, after that, you can walk around and, and see the outrageous number of bars and other spots to hang out that are really cool. Um, but Last Resort's going to be, I mean, that's my number one. And the cakes there, fantastic. Have to get a slice of cake if you go to Last Resort. Um, they're some of the best cakes I've ever had in my life. Specifically, the Tres Leches um, is out of this world. Um, so that's my, my strongest recommendation. Ah, thanks for the recommendation, Chris. I'll look forward to checking yeah. that out next time I'm in Athens. So time to go on record here as a Georgia fan, a long-suffering Georgia fan in this rivalry. Mm-hmm. What What is going to happen this weekend? Give me your score prediction. Okay. Um, I think that it, it would be illogical for me to think that Georgia will win this football game from what I've seen uh, because I know that Really, all you have to do to stop our offense is play up on the wide receivers and then overcommit to stopping the run because we will not beat you with the pass. And I think that Florida can do that. So, But at the same time, we have a pretty good defense ourselves. I would say that uh, something like a, a 21-24 
to 14-17 win for Florida, if I'm having a guess. Now, I do recognize that we could pull the upset. I'm not without hope. I'm excited for the game, um, and I really hope that Georgia can pull it out. There's a scenario where we can win this football game, and hopefully that will happen. Well, Chris, thanks so much for being with us. I know that uh, it was, I'm sure, a good time for you to hop on the podcast here and uh, and get a little get a little Georgia fame for yourself and for others. But seriously, thanks for the insight. It's really interesting for us to hear your thoughts. It's very different being on the Florida side. I think a lot of Florida people now yeah. don't hate Georgia if they're under the age of 35. In fact, they probably don't think much yeah. of Georgia as a rival. So that would change very quickly if if Georgia you know starts to win a few consistently. I can tell you that, but. It is interesting. It is tons of fun. I know we'll be there this weekend. We're certainly hoping it will be an exciting game. Um, and, again, thanks for being on the program. We really enjoyed the time today. Yeah, had a great time, guys. Take care. All right, let's close this thing out. One of my favorite weeks of the year, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I'll still call it that, even if officially it's, we're not allowed to say that. Let's do a quick little game like we like to do here. James, give me the passing yardage for both Treon and Grayson Lambert. Grayson Lambert, 146. Treon, 221. And yours, Alan. I'll say, yeah, that's a good number for Grayson Lambert. I was going to say 154. And then Treon, I'm going to go a little higher for him. I'm going to go uh, 245. Okay. And how many interceptions will each quarterback throw? I'm going to say two for Lambert, one for Treon. What about you? I, I like it. Since I'm feeling frothy and I feel like we're going to beat them handily, I'm going to go three for Lambert. I think we caught, last time we caught the defensive line, they answered the bell. Kind of called out the corners a little bit today. They're going to answer the bell of three. I think Treon throws one. Um, he didn't normally really throw the ball up for grabs, but Georgia's got to get enough defense where I think they force one. All right. Well, let's close it out. Thanks to Cody Jones and our buddy Chris Collins for joining us here on the podcast. So check us out on Facebook, Gator Football, Gator Nation Football Podcast. One day I'll get the name right. Uh, We're on Twitter. Share it with people. We really appreciate you guys listening, and we'll see you next week. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. 
Granger, for the ones who get it done.